0: on Sagittarian Matters, we talk about family secrets, religion, cults, estrangement, scenes, safety, honesty, and more with my guests, Yasmine Diaz and Akina Cox. Stay tuned. Sagittarian Matters. Sagittarian Matters. What's the I first met Yasmin Diaz when I visited her installation, Exit Strategies, at the Women's Center for Creative Work in Los Angeles. I was invited to sit in a carpeted, groovy 1970s style den space, adorned with collages and mixtapes, hand-stenciled wallpaper and scrapbooks. It was here that Yasmin told me about her life growing up in a conservative home and her eventual escape. Yasmin Diaz and Akina Cox have this in common: Akina is an LA artist who is also estranged from a conservative family who are enmeshed in the cult of the Unification Church. These two friends started a correspondence after meeting, which has just been published in a zine called Sleepwalking Towards the Exit. I had them come over to the studios to talk about their zine, but we ended up discussing honesty, safety, imposter syndrome, representation, and so much more. Please enjoy my talk with Yasmin Diaz, and Akina Cox.
1: My parents came from Yemen to Chicago, where I and most of my siblings were born and raised. Where they're from is the Southern Highlands, and it's a very rural place. It's a very lush and very beautiful place. Everyone knows everyone. Um, the way of life is a very traditional, very uh, gendered and patriarchal. Um, there's not a lot of uh, education there, so my mom, like most of the women at the time, uh, did not have any education, and my dad had very little Yemen is one of the poorest countries in the world and uh, so my family my parents left uh, basically for opportunity uh, the reason you know many many people leave and and so uh, they came to Chicago for work and my dad ended up doing uh, very well for himself and um, so as you can imagine the way of life there is very different than in Chicago and so there was you know there were many you could say points of friction, uh, between how myself and my siblings were, uh, had experience and the values that we had versus those of our parents. Um, for example, you know, um, when my parents came, other, other families followed and the community grew, but my parents were, were one of the first. So, for a while they tried to assimilate it. but I think as more Yemeni families um and they were Yemenis uh specifically from our same area um the assimilation I think slowed down like it didn't last long and so what other people thought uh really mattered and conforming and you know sticking to traditional ways uh was very important and so um yeah so one of the things uh that, um, our, you know, those, our families practices arranged marriage and, uh, everyone's marriage was arranged. And from what I could see, the women didn't have a choice, whereas the men often did. And, you know, that's something that really terrified me. And, and also the marriages are consummated right away on the first night. And that really terrified me. You know, it's, it's rape. I mean, it's basically rape. Um, of course, people didn't see it that way. Most people didn't see it that way, but I certainly did. And there's really no way around it. It's not a negotiable. Um, and so, yeah. And, you know, uh, so the communities are very patriarchal and, uh, the way my brothers were raised was very different than my sisters and I, my sisters were expected to learn to cook and to clean. Um, and we did, and, you know, our chores were very different. We would clean up after our brothers and, you know, our brothers had way more freedom than we did, and, you know, things like they had bicycles, my sisters and I weren't allowed to ride bikes, um, and, um, yeah, there was just, I feel like, a sense of a different kind of value between us, and what we had to contribute, and, um, so another area for me that was a real challenge, uh, was around the area of religion, and, um, you know, I we were going to Islamic school on Saturdays, kind of like Sunday school, where we learned to, you know, to read and write Arabic and uh, learned about, you know, Islam. And I just had a lot of questions. I think, you know, I there was a lot that didn't make sense to me. And before I knew the word, I was agnostic. Um, I just, I think I had a, a problem with, you know, religion in general. Um, and I just, I understood that it was not something I could talk about. It would it would have been a really bad idea, almost dangerous to voice that at home so so I didn't um, and um one thing I want to say is that you know my everyday growing up was not hell I mean I have a lot of fond memories, but at the same time it was really difficult to negotiate what was supposed to be this like prescribed future. Um, and you know, my own hopes and dreams. I mean, I, I knew that I wanted to travel. I wanted to decide for myself if I was even ever going to get married or have kids, but those things were, uh, would not be okay. There was no way to like stay with my family and have the freedom to make those choices for myself. Basically, I was to always be under the guardianship, essentially, uh, of a man, whether that be my father or my husband. And, uh, you know, living life as an independent woman, let's say like traveling or going to school in another country or even another state, uh, those would not be okay at all. So what ended up happening is, um, And I'm skipping ahead a lot, of course, but two of my sisters and I ended up leaving our family after I graduated high school, and we had to change our names for our protection, and uh, we didn't end up seeing or talking to our family for almost 20 years.
2: Um, so I grew up in the unification church, which, which was a weird cult started, I think in the fifties, um, by this guy named Reverend, well, this is a made up, he changed his name. His name is Reverend Sun Myung Moon. Yeah, that's, he wasn't born with that name, but anyway, um, so it became popular in America or as popular as it got in like the seventies and that's when my parents joined, and then they had an arranged marriage by Reverend Moon, along with, like, all of the other members in the church. And then I was born in the 80s. And then, yeah, I grew up mostly on the East Coast. Um, and let me think. I've, I'm sure I'm living out something important. But I grew up on the East Coast. My parents decided to move us to South Korea when I was in high school for, like, church reasons um and then um yeah it was a very very strict religion and uh we were supposed to all have arranged marriages and I had something really crazy happen where my husband and I were like starting to fall in love and at the same time our parents were arranging our marriage but they didn't know about that like we had to keep our actual relationship really secret even though even yeah, even after we were, as they say, like matched together, we like kinda had to pretend we didn't like each other. It was really crazy and fucked up. But then so we got married shortly after, um, when we were like twenty, twenty one. And we've been together and we've like slowly left the church together. And then my parents so Reverend Moon died in two thousand I want to say maybe 2012, 13, something. And since then, his whole family has, like, split up into different factions. And my parents have joined the craziest faction, which is called Sanctuary Church. And they're headquartered in Pennsylvania. And they, um, like, are also affiliated with some gun manufacturing companies. Mm. And they had... They participated in, in a big event last year where like they all brought guns to church to like bless the guns like, roughly and um and so my parent and it like got a lot of media attention and my parents were on the cover of like a lot of like newspapers and also around that same time my um like a uh, Southern Poverty Law Center labeled the Sanctuary Church a hate group or like maybe it's on their hate watch list. I'm not sure. Because of their homophobic views.
0: And you you both had to totally recreate yourselves after separating yourselves from these groups. Is that from your families? Is that true?
1: I mean, yeah, I think for me, there was like a long period of like just like figuring out who I was, you know, cause it's like growing up, um, you know, who I could, who I was at home was different than who I was. Like I went to public schools and the public schools are like super diverse, you know? Um, and so I was like encountering all, you know, people of all different backgrounds and beliefs. And then at home it was like, things were like very clear and like, you know, very gendered. Um, And like I kind of had to be really mindful of like just, you know, growing up as a girl and like my just how I took up space and the things that I said and um, not speaking out of turn, that kind of thing. And so going from that dynamic to, I guess, you know, like total freedom it took me a long time to realize that like I was still limiting myself in so many ways, you know, like you can take yourself out of that situation, but you're not necessarily completely free. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, I don't feel like I feel like, um, feeling more, I guess like free and uninhibited, like really started when I started talking more openly about like my past, like in, uh, like more openly with friends and then in my work. Mm-hmm. Cause I think, um, you know, for a long time, my sisters and I, like, didn't tell people, like, for a variety of reasons, safety being one of them, um, and we weren't necessarily even on the same page about, like, who we should tell what, and, you know, like, I really needed to confide in people just for my own sanity. Um, I would, you know, do that with people that I trusted and took time to get to know, but, um, but for a while, like, they didn't want to tell, anyone at all, um, and so I think, yeah, that whole, like, f- f- redefining, like, the self, like, t- has taken, I think, a really long time, at least for myself.
2: Yeah, it just felt like everything completely changed from, like, how I was viewing the world and, um, like, everything about, like, how I thought about myself and uh, my relationships, like, everything started to slowly change. I mean... I guess things actually changed a lot more recently when my parents got involved in this like splinter cult because then I've actually like have had to more seriously like think about like safety concerns and stuff.
0: Well, both of you have safety concerns, I feel like. So then what, what was the moment where you felt comfortable being open about your past in relation to the safety concerns? Was it just bravery or had enough time
1: passed or did something change? Um, well, for me, it was a combination of things, time being one of them. Um, I mean, and to be honest, like, you know, it's harder It's harder to, like, kind of um, define, like, when it, when it was safe. Um, I mean, like, in a very direct way, I can say that, like, a few years ago when my family and I started talking to each other um, – My younger sister found us online. That's a long story. But like, you know, and like the cat being officially out of the bag, like, and that was, like I said, 19 years later, um, I was like, okay, now like uh, there's no limits. Um, I was already like getting to a point where I was starting to think about using it in my works. I'm like, okay, it's been a long time. And, you know, like, I don't know how long there was an actual threat. I mean, like if I were to guess, I would say the first few years after we left when, like the news of us leaving the family um, was had the most um, like a kind of weight in the community um, and uh, and so um, yeah didn 't you say like your parents would have hired a private
0: investigator or something those first couple of years yeah,
1: and we you know we had some p i s helping us um, right after we left, who said that they had confirmation that someone was looking for us. Um, I don't know exactly how they knew that. Um, but I know that like my dad had hired someone to look for my sisters when they had run, they ran away once before, but they stayed like in the city and they came back like two weeks later. Um, and so, so we knew that that was, you know, that, that was very likely to happen again when we left, which is why, like, we took so many precautions and changed our names. Um, But yeah, so it's hard to say. I think that, like, you know, after a few years, like, us just disappearing, like, that was best for everybody. But, you know, sometimes I think about, like, if news of our whereabouts, like, surfaced, or if we, like, you know, in some way, like, came back, and it was, like, kind of throwing it in their faces, like, there could have been, you know, a threat to our safety. But Um, I did a whole book basically about this
0: family secret that I was raised with Oh, and yeah, it's an, it's an interesting thing though. I wonder if you all will feel this either from doing your work or from putting out the zine, but there's the feeling before you say it out loud where it is just like this thing that's eating you kind of like giving it's like a, like a little mental illness that your parents just like stuck in there into your computer hardware of just like having to keep a secret like 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And then there's like kind of the catharsis, the emotional release of putting it in the work. But then there's something else that happens when you just repeat the story over and over again, where you almost become like a robot and like repeating the story isn't necessarily working through it. It's just like, it's just (laughs) repeating it yeah I wonder do you feel that way after because you had a show at the Women's Center for Creative Work that was very autobiographical and referenced all this so you probably had to talk about it a lot
1: yeah and I, I like I wanted you know I offered to meet with people in the space um because I felt like I really wanted to explain it um I was really I'm constantly worried about like how people like interpret my work um and you know like the, 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 like, um, sorry. Um, uh, just in terms of like representation, like, you know, people don't meet, uh, people of Yemeni background, like very often. So if this is their first encounter and it's like someone talking about honor violence, like, you know, I, I have like a ton amount of stress and like, in terms of like feeding into a certain kind of stereotype. And so I would meet with people and like, you know, start with my, like, hundred disclaimers you Mm -hmm. know and um, but then by the end of like the residency I was exhausted I was mentally like just emotionally depleted so yeah this is a limited thing like I feel like we're I feel like we're reversing in like multiple areas I'm like i'm going to i'm going to gravitate towards like more tenuous uh <laughs> references to myself like in the future like right now i'm i think i'm working on maybe like the end of a series that's so directly autobiographical because it's just too much mm-hmm. um and then also like with the safety thing like over time like that's like it's a it's like a non issue now you know um like i said it was mainly just the first i think i don't know yeah like for 5 years or so or I'm really not sure how long.
2: Uh, I went back to grad school for art from 2010 to 2012. And right before I went back to grad school is when my husband and I decided, like, we were finally going to leave the church. Um, And then I, like, very timidly told a couple of my classmates in grad school and you know, a grad school with the MFA program is usually like a hotbed of like gossip because there's like maybe 20 of you and word travels fast. And every time I told someone I would wait for everyone in our class to like find out. And instead I had to go from person to person, like telling them about my weird cult upbringing because everyone was being like so kind and like not not spreading the hot gossip were you like look it's okay yeah i'm giving you a gift you're welcome yeah i was like take this and go dine out on it <laughs> like, so i don't have to like keep repeating this story yeah. but yeah i um towards the end of my mfa i was really struggling a lot with the huge change of like not being a a church member anymore and I had I had talked my way into a class with Maggie Nelson, like a graduate level writing class, and I am not usually this bold, but I wormed my way in, and i I don't know why, but I like kind of knew that I needed to start writing, and I wanted it to be part of my um my thesis show like some like kind of zine or book or something and so it was really through that class which i i like first started to open up about it and i remember like submitting my first essay to the class um and then seeing people in the halls the next couple of days and like running away and hiding from everyone and like ducking into art installations because I was convinced that the whole class would laugh at me or you know I had no idea what to expect because it's just what you're talking about having a secret and just taking it for granted that like you can't tell anyone and starting to tell people was so so frightening and you're totally right that the more you start talking about it, if you're, like, actually talking about it and getting at that catharsis, it just totally changes you as a person. Um, I feel like I've become one of the most bold people out of all of the ex-church members I know, where most people, like, don't talk about this very much, and they're really surprised when sometimes I'll introduce some of my friends to like art friends or whatever. And, and they ask like, how do you know each other? And I say, oh, we grew up in that same cult. And, <laughs> and then like my art friend will be like, oh, cool. Like I know Akina from Cal Arts, or whatever, yeah. you know, it's just like not a big issue to some people. And yeah, usually my friends are really astounded by like how, um, how normal everything can be when you're, when you just, like, start opening up about your secrets and people just... It's, it doesn't have the same emotional weight for outsiders as it does for those holding the secret. It never does.
0: Yeah. I mean, like, when I got... when I, So, I was, like, I was like, I signed this contract to do this book. And I was, like, okay, I'm going to go all the way. And so, I was, like, I need to think about the most, like, embarrassing situation of my entire life. I need to think about, like, what's, like, the biggest secret I have And so I wrote about this horrible stomach problem I had as a kid where I was, like, shitting my pants every day. And to me, as I was drawing it, I was, like, full of shame, blushing by myself in my studio, just being like, I am unlovable. Like, saying this out loud, letting other people know that I'm unlovable they didn't know before, now I'm letting them know. And that's not what happened. Of course, like, that that ends up being, like, a, a way for people to connect to you as an artist or as a writer or whatever is when they see like them like a really vulnerable part yeah not like a fake vulnerable part where you're like yeah. once i asked someone out and they said maybe like it's yeah. like not like a fake vulnerability it's like people can kind of tell when you're talking
1: about something raw. yeah it takes away the power of it like yeah. you know when you put it out there it's like here i'm giving it to you now you know everything so there's like nothing else Again, yeah like, what else
0: If you have an advice question for Sagittarian Matters, call or text our advice hotline, 971-361-9998. Leave a message. We might answer your question on the air, and we promise not to answer the phone. That is a Sagittarian promise that you can take all the way to the bank. How do both of you feel about, like, your own personal boundaries around this process? Or, like, what still belongs just to you and what things... Have you given away or, or for public consumption through the zine or through your work?
1: There's, there are definitely things that, like in terms of like my family and um, that I think that 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 are just for me. You know, it's like, I mean, one of the things that I think we talked about in the zine is just like kind of the really complicated nature of sharing these stories and also like, you know, so I like had a lot of trepidation about sharing, um, my story and my work. Um, like, you know, in the past it was safety would be like the main concern, but more recently, especially like post nine 11, the concern is feeding into a stereotype, like giving ammo to people. You don't want to give ammo to like right wing, you know, media, um, and then people within like my own kind of community that say like, Don't air this dirty laundry, like don't make a slip bad, especially now, now is not the right time um and so um what's my point like why did I start saying that? Um, so
0: do like you have boundaries about certain things that you'll say, yeah, based on that
1: yeah, but and I realize that like there's like the boundaries of like you know just like protecting my family and, and even my own community. I mean, it's like really complicated. Cause like on the one hand, you know, I want to bring light to these issues. And like, um, one of the things that happened, you know, cause I will follow like honor-based violence. And there was a very public, um, you know, there's a lot of people that dispute this term, by the way, FYI, honor killing. Um, but there was a very public one. Uh, I think it was last year by this, um, um, Pakistani pop, uh, star, her name was Kandil Baloch. And so I was just like, um, that was like another, um, another moment where I was like, I really want to like tell this, tell my own story. Um, and, um, and just, I was like willing to navigate those like complicated waters, you know? So, um, so yeah, I mean like when I, when I tell the story and, um, Like, I want to bring attention to to these issues, but also, like, talk about, like, um, that, like, I love my family and I love my community. Like, it's, yeah, like, my dad, like, made it very clear that, like, if my sisters and I left, that he would, you know, there would be, like, physical harm would come our way, you know? And I know that's, like, really probably difficult to hear something like that and also, like, for me to say that, like, I love my dad and the under... I you know I don't <laughs> to, like not hold him accountable completely but um but I also understand the world that made him the world that he, you know uh where he where he comes from because that like what he said and like his potential actions like are essentially like, condoned by the community and like any father in the community might have like done or said the same thing um and so so I feel like um just, uh, like a huge responsibility in how I like talk about the story and talk about my family. Um, because there are so many things that like, you know, I love about my family and I love about like where and how I I grew up. Um, and so I think I'm, I don't know, I'm constantly like trying to figure out like what to share, what not to share. Um, I don't always know like in, in the moment, but.
0: So you have the burden of representation of,
1: being like
0: saying it more eloquently (laughs) it's just it's just like you have to like show because i mean i I think like part of growing up and being an adult is being like my parents are human beings who are imperfect and i can still love them and not agree with the i can hold both things i have two hands like i can hold like they're more problematic or like parts that even are borderline abusive or in my case and then the parts of them that are good like no one is all good and all bad but then the burden of representation being like if this is someone's Only Yemeni, like, experience of... And you have to be like... No, but
1: this and this and this and this. this. Like, they're not all... This doesn't happen to everyone there, and they're not all evil. And, you know, we're really great and hospitable, and they're (laughs) lovely. So you should get to know
2: us. And also, like, uh, mainstream America has very awful problems, too. And so, like, don't just, like, throw stones at us. (laughs) Like, yeah. I feel like my... Boundary issue has also been changing over time because before I became more open about my past, I was always saying that I was interested in beliefs and religion, but I often talked about like Greek mythology because I felt like Greek mythology is a thing that a lot of people kind of know about. And it's, like, a way to talk about a belief system, but, like, there's not really, like, no one's going to come after you because you're, like, saying that, like, maybe Zeus wasn't real or something. (laughs) And then over time, it's been more about just, like, opening up about, like, why, like, in grad school, everyone would say, like, what's at stake? And for me, like, what's at stake about, like, belief and religion is, like, means a lot. Like, that is, like, that means, like, that, that, that sorry, I'm just trailing off now, but that dictates all of our life decisions, whether we're really cognizant or not. Um, and so I became a little bit more open and about that in my work, but as soon as I started telling people I grew up in a cult, I immediately had people asking me to like write more about it. Like they would just like come up to me on an opening, like, oh, you're the artist who grew up in a cult. You know what? I got a great idea. Why don't you write a book about it? And I would just think like, no, I'm not going to write a book so you, like a 50-year-old, nice soccer mom from the West Side can like have something scandalous to read about while you're waiting for your kid to at soccer practice or whatever. Like, I'm not going to give... It felt like a stubborn thing where I wasn't going to give in to that. And then over time, especially, actually, since Trump was elected, I've had several friends. I feel like it's a friend of the pod, Beth Pickens included, pushing me to like keep writing a little bit more because I grew up in a very, very, very Republican, conservative, weird Christian cult that like is. That actually has a lot of ties to like different politicians. And so I feel like I understand the weird like Trump insanity like a lot more than other people might. And so there's like this like it it feels like now talking about myself can be like very helpful for maybe people who grew up on the coasts or are trying to understand how to talk to their own like Republican family members who are maybe not in a crazy cult but maybe also like buy into like Trump's crazy ideas
0: yeah it's so weird to live on the coast I grew up in the Midwest in a like conservative Christian household at a certain point and I so I have a higher tolerance for that stuff but now if I even say like oh, I listened to this radio show of somebody who's, like, not pro-choice. People are like, what? Like, it blows, yeah. like, their minds. Everyone I know is so kind of sequestered in their bubble that it,
2: it is helpful yeah. for you to be like, well, no, here's here's my understanding of this. Well, it's – so I wrote a zine last year called How to Talk to Your Republican Uncle. And I wrote it, like, just before the midterms for, like, my friends who were trying to um, – go out and canvas for the first time or maybe, like, before um, the holidays, like, figure out how to talk to their family members. Just explaining, like, maybe, like, a distant cousin or something who is, like, a libertarian or whatever. But, because for me, I grew up listening to Rush Limbaugh all the time, and so I was just explaining, like, my slow transformation to becoming, like, a progressive Democrat and how I talked to, like, a lot of my friends who are current or former members of the same cult and just like how we negotiate politics together. And so that's been feeling like, Oh, I have a reason to talk about my upbringing and it's not like for pure enjoyment or to like scratch that itch of like some kind of, um, just like scandal that someone can read about. Cause there, there are a lot of scandals in the cult and it is really, really crazy i also feel like over time i've seen more and more like uh cult documentaries or it fictionalized in movies and tv shows and i feel like a lot of people get it wrong and people get so i mean my joke is that i once got angry cuz i was Complaining about, like, one movie, and I said, you know, they make it sound like all we do is we just, like, hang around in white robes and sing songs around a campfire. And then I realized, like, we do all of those things. But, like, (laughs) but that's not the, that's not the real story. Like, the real story is that there's, like, a bunch of, like, hurt people trapped in, like, these, like, abusive structures. And they, like, keep people sequestered from the outside world and like really afraid of other people and it's a hotbed of abuse and like that issue doesn't get talked about so much so it's made me want to speak up more
1: mm-hmm. that zine by the way highly recommend it how to how to talk
2: <laughs> to your republican uncle
1: i wish it could be dropped in like you know from the sky like all across the country <laughs> We would be a better place
2: are there? Is it still available? Um, it is. I there will be. Um, there's some. Sorry. There's some copies at Other Wild in New York and in LA, and um, usually you can. I think you can order it off their website. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm running out of copies, so I just dropped off my last ones for the Artists for Democracy table at Freeze LA this weekend. But um, I'm gonna have to print some more. It does sell out very fast, and I make it in my kitchen with my like little RisoGraph printer. So it's a slow going operation. Oh my
0: god, you make you print it yourself too? So you probably have to collate it yourself and then staple it yourself? Uh, my life
1: is so hard. i <laughs> yeah, start outsourcing that. But yeah, came is a
2: RisoGraph master. Yeah. Well, my Rizograph my people say okay. Newbies say Rizograph, but you're supposed to say Rizograph. But you know what? I've given up on being like, I've given up on trying to be cool about it. So I say Rizzo a lot now too. Who's gonna correct you? There's gonna be like a Rizograph person in the back and be like Rizzo. Was you like Rizzo? (laughs) A thirty year old bearded. Rizzo bro is gonna get really mad at me well I feel I feel fine poking at that person yeah yeah, Yeah. me too so Rizzo 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 Rizzo. um
0: we have an anonymous question or we have a question from someone that wanted to remain anonymous um maybe it's for both of you but Yasmin I'll start with you what is it like for you to take up space as an artist um you
1: know like it's um I feel like in the in the process of like sharing this work and um starting off like with like you know just feeling very hesitant and mixed I mean I still like feel mixed and analyze like what I do all the time, but um like getting like a lot so much support um along the way and in, in sharing like these like kind of first two series of work that tell the story oh. um has made me want to take up more space and made me feel more confident about it and I'm really really grateful for for that support and for the feedback and um and I literally want to take up more space I want to make a bigger work because I um I don't know I want to see how that feels because I think there's a direct correlation between like the literal size of of works I make 2d work um and kind of in your conviction what you have to say and what you have to share like yeah I'm really like owning this space and um and that you know that's a huge thing for me because like being raised in this very gendered household where um I didn't feel that like my opinion mattered I wasn't like raised to feel like my my opinions and my you know like ideas like mattered um it that's like taken me so much longer to kind of undo um and and so, um, yeah, and, like, it's sort of, like, uh, that change is manifesting in the work.
2: I am honestly, like, super struggling with that issue. Um, I feel so weird about it because I feel like I actually have a good deal of confidence in myself and my work. But I'm also... Intensely afraid of people in general <laughs> And so I'm still trying to unpack that issue of Like Yasmin was saying like Feeling that maybe people in your community Are not Valuing your opinion Or maybe you're not the safest around them Or whatever For whatever reason um, Yeah, I feel Like Growing up I was always the happiest when I was on my own, when I was like drawing or reading or climbing trees. But because being around people meant that I had to navigate really, really strict religion and uh, a lot of adults that wanted a lot from me that I couldn't possibly deliver. So I'm still dealing with the repercussions of that a little bit as a, an adult, where. I feel like anyone gives me um an opportunity and my first impulse is to want to run away which is not the correct impulse I'm learning <laughs> so so I'm still battling with that and if anyone has any tips feel free to reach out to me <laughs> wonderful wonderful
1: um, wait I want to follow yeah. that up with <laughs> for balance I'm still terrified like every time I make new work and like share my story or talk to people like that like I don't know if that will ever go away it's just like the volume changes mm-hmm. and Um, and I have also like, um, like have just like gotten comfortable or just not comfortable, but just accepted the fact that like, I will always have imposter syndrome. I mean, you know, once I found out that like so many people have it, so many like very accomplished people have it, I'm like, oh, okay, this, this will never go away. So, okay. It's, I'm just going to accept that you're always going to be there, but like, like an annoying neighbor, like you're there, and that's cool, and I'm just gonna try and ignore you as much as possible, so it's yeah. not like I'm here, and listen to what I have to say like and yeah it's uh there's there's it's always tempered with some level of i don't know self doubt and discomfort.
0: <laughs> I feel like it just becomes it's just a little bit like you're like all right, I feel that. And I'm just going to do it anyway. And I'm just gonna do it anyway. Cause then it's like, it's just, yeah, the feeling's not It's a neighbor, but you're like, the neighbor's not going to, the neighbor's not going to leave their house. They're just going to keep yelling. Like it can't kill you. Imposter syndrome can't kill you. Self-consciousness can't kill you. Like maybe you are a fraud, but like, look at the president. I actually got a lot of inspiration from that. I'm like, that person could be a, total buffoon and get all the way to the top like i could do any uh, you know like when i'm like trying to call and get like an upgrade for a rental car or something i'm like do i deserve this i'm like if that person feels they deserve to have the highest point in the land then like certainly i can return this pair of boots or get this rental car (laughs) upgrade or you know certainly i can do this thing that people invited me to do Found like
1: the the silver lining (laughs) like
0: the one silver lining or that is the only silver lining is i actually felt inspired by being like person's like such an idiot and he's like speaking in front of everyone in the world why not me i could do i could maybe even be the president someday i (laughs) never i never thought i could because i had zero (laughs) interest in politics but you don't even have to apparently None at all you can just say i'll look that up um but yeah i get it i just get a feeling of like well nothing matters anyway like sometimes like i'll do a book and i'll be like is this even a book? Like, what is this? Like, not even good. Like, what is this? I don't even know if this is making sense. I'm just like a madman, just like speaking in my own room. And I'm like, all right, well, it just exists because it just has to exist. Today's episode is brought to you by Shoshana Ruth Wector, Michelle Lemoyne, Mary Pinson, Tony Pinto, Jill Soloway, and Christy Herod. If you like to support sagittarian matters including producer chris sutton please send five dollars ten dollars five million dollars that's your business via paypal to hornetleg at gmail.com that's hornet like the insect leg like its appendage at gmail thank you for your support and we look forward to saying your name on the podcast producer patria looks forward to it too don't be scared that's her voice Last question. Well, I guess I wonder. Do you have any last advice for artists? Do you
2: have any advice for your younger self? I've. I used to be so hard on myself, and I sure. I'm sure I still am. I was like five minutes late to get to Yasmin's today, and I was really mad at myself. So it's not like I've learned to be the easy, most easygoing person on the planet. But I'm just realizing like our mistakes. Are not that bad. And to just like. L- just like. Let things go a lot quicker. Like maybe it's again. Like tr- Trump is president. It's the like, thing. But but yeah. The bar is really low. But um, like. My parents thought it was a good idea. To move our family to South Korea. Because my mom thought God told her. To do that. And so she like moved like two like grade school kids to the border of north and south korea where we could hear the we could hear it's not funny but we could we could hear the the like patriotic music that was like loud on loudspeakers on the dmc um and so like sometimes when i fuck up stuff i'm just like is it that bad? Like <laughs> like like I ate like some like del taco today. Like that's okay. <laughs> like like you make a shitty painting, like what's what's the worst that's going to happen? You make one shitty painting. You're on your like you have it's a cliche but it's so true that you have to mess up in order to like find out where you're really supposed to go. Yeah. And so I'm actually like very anti slogans and quotes and advice like that but i did write on my studio door the other day just the word fail cuz i want to like get a lot better at failing like i i i don't want to be the i don't want to be so stuck and and stop myself from working on things cuz i'm worried that in the future they will fail i just want to be good at running into walls and like failing all the time and like picking myself up and like trying it again like, that is what I want. And I feel like all of my friends and loved ones feel like we all suffer from a similar issue. Where just the other day, my husband was like worried about making a mistake or the fact that we like accidentally killed our printer. Well, he would point out that I did print like 50 zines on it in like an That's hour. That's for! <laughs> but you know what? What's like, the name? I printed them out, I gave them away, and. I have, like, new friends because of that. And I feel like that is, like, a priceless experience. So I will happily buy another printer with... And, like, just keep going and not beat myself up about it.
1: But yeah. I th- So Akina and I have a list of topics that we started for, like, future conversations. Or maybe if we make an expanded version of this. And I feel like we totally have to add this whole, like, perfectionist thing. Because I'm like, there's got to be something... I mean... Like, I wonder if there's something of our, you know, from our shared <clears throat> upbringings that like, you know, like, um, uh, makes for that, you know, that, that like inhibiting yourself because of the, the, the fear to fail and, um. So, I'm just going to totally piggyback on that because, like, yeah, I've been always terrified of like failing, and it's inhibited me so much from like trying things, you know, like, or sharing them or putting them out in the world. Like, this has to be perfect. And, you know, it's taken, yeah, just a really long time to get to that place where it's like, to like not care so much, you know, and I think that's just like age where it's like, I don't, I just don't care anymore. Yeah. And in the past, I wish I could have given myself that gift to be like, don't like to try to not care so much about like what other people think. Like, and now that I'm saying that out loud, I'm realizing like how much that was a part of our community and actually like the root of like the problem of things like, like the shame that kind of like, um, inspires something like honor violence, you know? Cause it's like, you know, at the root of it, it's like restoring reputation, you know, mm-hmm. because like, what will people think? Like that phrase is something I heard so much. Like, what will people think? I heard it so much that, it was like made it very clear that like what other people thought mattered more than like my own like well being my own mental health, my own like physical health, and so um even though I knew that was wrong and knew that I wanted to leave that um, really allowing myself to care less about what people thought, like that was a lot much harder work to do. Um, I realized I still kind of like had that so i wish I wish there was some way to like yeah go back in time and like magically lift those. <laughs> chains it doesn't matter yeah it it's doesn't like matter
2: if someone thinks you're a loser then they think you're a loser and yeah. it doesn't matter at all like yeah. just like so there's well. nothing you're you like we were talking about the neighbor that's in their house that's just like complaining or, or whatever yeah. it's like it's fine they're just there
1: yeah,
2: it's, yeah. it doesn't matter so just well. go to a different house yeah
0: but yeah. <laughs> there's people that are more fr- i guess it's also it's like a control issue too yeah mean, because I know, like, as a kid, I just felt like like I wanted to control what people thought about me, and I wanted to control whatever, because, you know, I was living in a chaotic landscape where I felt like if I could act a certain way, maybe I wouldn't get treated that way, or I could, you know, maybe I yeah. could control just this little bit of this, and so then I grew up with control issues of wanting to control what people thought about me, wanting to control what they said about me, be like, well, maybe if I'm still there, they won't talk about me because I haven't left the room, or, yeah. you know, even that kind of thing, and then went to a c- control how they interpreted my art, which then was out of my hands, like the greatest act of just well, being out of control.
2: I think if you're a kid and you're feeling like you need to control a lot of stuff, it's because you have a lot of shit on your plate. Yeah. Like normally little, I feel like not an expert, but feeling little kids that are growing growing up in like a happy environment where they feel supported. Don't feel the urge to like control all the stuff. All the people. Like, for, I know for myself, all this control, all these control issues came from a very legitimate place of needing to make sure I was safe all the time.
0: It's just anxiety.
2: It's anxiety, but it's, like, really anxiety. Like, it's, like, yeah. it's um, not that there's not real anxiety, but but actually, I've talked to several people who are therapists about the idea of, like, paranoia, and they were saying that... Um, a lot of women have been um, misdiagnosed as being paranoid because they are, like, really afraid of an ex of theirs. And, like, people in the medical uh, mental health profession would just say, oh, they're paranoid. And then it turns out, like, this woman would be put in the hospital because their ex found them or whatever. And they realize, like, oh, these women aren't paranoid. They're legitimately worried about their um, safety. And I just feel like that was totally the case of a lot of people I know that grew up in a very like uptight community like my own or anyone else but I feel like there was a very legitimate reason where I felt like I was keeping myself safe by always being on guard all the time and now I'm learning that like I'm sometimes in a, in a safer place that I've created for myself. And so I don't need to, if someone thinks I'm a loser, it doesn't affect my safety and it has nothing to do with me. And I can just like, let that go. But at the same time, I don't blame myself for being that uptight when I was a kid. It's, it was a tool. It was an yeah. adaptive tool. Yeah.
1: yeah. A def- like if you have to develop that defense me- mechanism, like at that young of an age, like there's something legit, something real happening. Um yeah, I really appreciated like throughout like our correspondence, like Akina would share some bits from like what her therapist would say and I'm like, Oh my god Like it was like getting like secondhand therapy <laughs> and she I remember that at one point you were like, Yeah, she said like it's not paranoia if it's real and I'm like, Oh man. Such like great nuggets of information that were really validating. Something I'm
0: having to remind myself again and again, like to your point, you know, if a kid is feeling that much anxiety, then you have that as your shame that then you take forward and it's your secret, but actually that you didn't do anything wrong. The shame should be on the parents, the people that were supposed to be taking care of you, making you feel safe, that created such a structure that you felt like you had to take care of yourself as like the smallest person in the room Yeah, that you had to be in charge of something. And so I, you know, like my horrible stomach thing that I had so much shame over. That then, when I drew it in my zine, I was like, "I'm telling everyone I'm in love." With, like, what was going? Who were the adults in the room? Who were the parents? Who were the doctors? Like, that wasn't yeah. on like at five year old. No, to yeah. whatever. And so, any of these things, I feel like you know, like coming up with shame about, like, oh my god, I left my family behind. You're like, well, what did they do to make the conditions which you felt like you had to leave?